some folks that are visiting with us, and uh, so to each and every one of you, whether you're online or whether you're here, welcome. Uh, it's good to see uh, those that are here, and glad for those that are joining us online to be here. I want to recognize a, a couple of folks. Uh, uh, last week, we heard from Tony from Samaritan's Purse, and Tony's here with us, and so I'm going to ask Tony, if you want to come up, I'm going to get him to say a couple of words about what they've been doing. And in the back back there is Carolyn and Desi Perez, and they are friends of mine. They are part of the Billy Graham chaplaincy uh, program, and they have been here for about a week now. Uh, and they go around as they're doing, as Tony and the group from Samaritan Purse are working on homes of, of those that are uh, from the freeze and doing some repair work. 
these guys are out praying with them, and so it's just been an awesome time. So, uh, again, greet Tony. He, Tony Williamson's back here with us again today. So thanks, Tony, for being here. And it, is a, it is a joy to be back and worship with you. I'm going to be uh, pretty sad when we have to, <laughs> have to leave. So, uh, But it has been a, a pleasure to be here in the greater Houston area, just serving and loving people in the name of Jesus. And uh, we had an interesting uh, home this week that we worked on. It was the home of an individual that is deaf, and they had four other deaf family members. And uh, I personally went to do the assessment of the job, and uh, she had multiple places in her home where the ceiling had fallen in and, and needed a lot of work done. And uh, it was one of those challenges of, you know, how are we going to be able to communicate, and are we going to find an interpreter? And I, I'm not sure. Did we find an interpreter from, from your church? No, we didn't. Uh, but we found an interpreter to go and to, um, to, to help at that home. And it was just a wonderful day of ministry to express the love of God uh, to this homeowner and her family as well. And uh, just to show that in a practical way. And I think about the scriptures that, that tell us that our, our spiritual worship is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And doing that in everything that we do. Not just, not just showing up at church on Sunday, but each and every day taking the opportunity to serve and to love people. And that's really what we're trying to do with Samaritan's Purse. So I'll give you an update on what we've done in the last week. Uh, first off, we have uh, taken in 88 work orders, so requests for assistance, and uh, each one of those is spoken with on the phone. It's a ministry, uh, it's a ministry opportunity just to speak with them and to encourage them. But then also those that uh, we can possibly help, we go to their home. Uh, meet them in their home and, and show up and just say, you know what, we care enough to be here and to see what your need is and to pray with them and encourage them. And then we were able to help 30 of those uh, that have come in and uh, 33 of those uh, actually got the assistance they needed somewhere else or uh, it was outside of our scope uh, to help. And so we have 25 work orders left to do and we would love to have you come and volunteer with us and uh, you can do that. I, we would just ask that you would sign up online first. And so you can go to spvolunteer.org to do that. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about our volunteers. We've had a um, hundred, hold up, we've had 53 total volunteers and all for 1,072 volunteer hours. So we have been working in the community, sharing the love of Jesus, and, and doing that to the best of our ability. So we'd love to have you come and support. And if you need assistance, not just those of you in the room, but those watching on live stream, if you need assistance, uh, please call our, our number and uh, just share what you need. And we will uh, get back to you as soon as we can. Uh, that number is 713-440-9839. It's also on the screen. So uh, love to love to hear from you and love to have you come and uh, serve with us here in the community. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, guys. That uh, last week we t took up a love offering for Samaritan's Purse. You can still give online before they leave. Uh, we will bless them with uh, the donations that you guys have given, but they are really the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And thanks so much for, uh, we, we thank the Lord for our, our paths crossing. 
during this time. And they are an absolute blessing. I, we got to meet some of them. We've got people from all over the country that have come in to help people in Houston. And we had uh, myself and a couple of uh, current officers had an opportunity to meet them, uh, some with them, with some of them the other night. And it was an absolute blessing. You, God bless you guys and all you, that you do. So this morning, uh, God's message to you is about our advocate, and it's about Jesus Christ, and we speak of Jesus Christ every time we, we get up here, but as we, as he spoke to me, and as we worked on his message uh, this week, uh, I, I was thankful that uh, our Heavenly Father is not like our earthly fathers. Uh, you know, uh, I can remember my dad one time. Uh, we had uh, my brother. I'll blame my brother for this. My brother had broken out one of the window panes as we were playing baseball. And so we had to replace the pane. My dad had got the window pane and got the caulking and got all the stuff, and he's out there. And so I'm probably seven years old, maybe, if I remember right. And so I'm going to go help my dad. So I go there, and I'm, I'm watching, and my dad said, uh, Son, go to the garage and bring me a hammer. And I'm thinking, a hammer? We're working with glass. Why do we need a hammer? And so as we are as human beings, we question, why do I need a hammer? And my dad says, to knock these little pieces of glass that are still in the, in the window frame, to, to knock them out. Me being much smarter than my dad, I said, uh, just pull them out with your hand. And he says, you will cut your hand if you do that. Now, do what I said and go get the hammer. You know, God so often gives us free will. And God will say, I need you to do this. And we'll go, why? Or we'll come up with a better idea. Or we'll pull the glass out and cut our hands, and then God will go, yeah, you know, I made you that way. You're going to bleed when you cut. If you'll do what I ask you to do, things will be so much better. So this morning, we want to talk about our advocate. We want to talk of words of encouragement as God guides us and directs us. And we want to talk about not being fearful as we follow him. So if before we get started, if you'll pray with me and pray for me. Heavenly Father, we come this morning giving thanks. As we join you, Father, may your words be encouragement to all that hear you as you you draw closer to each of us and as we draw closer to to your will. Remove me from the equation that would be your message, Father God, and open our hearts and minds to hear you. In your son's name we pray, amen. Dr. Lloyd-Jones preached a sermon on fear and terror that the disciples had, and it's printed in Mark and Matthew. If you remember the story, I'm sure, where they're in a boat and the seas are real rough and uh, they believe they're going to die and Jesus is asleep. He's taking a nap. And they go, teacher, we're, we're about to die, wake up. And so as Dr. Jones uh, finishes this sermon, he comes to a very sharp conclusion. And he says this, I don't care what the circumstances may be. A follower of Jesus should never be agitated, 
should never be at his wit's end, should never be beside himself, and should never be in a condition in which he believes is lost. Because it implies that there's a lack of trust and a lack of confidence in Jesus Christ. You see, in our distresses of life, we must trust God. And when we see something that is impossible, we must leave room for God to do the possible. For God to be God and do his work. For you see, Jesus has promised that he is our advocate. He is with us at all times. And this truth is repeated in Scripture. You can look at the first chapter of Deuteronomy and we hear these words. Do not be terrified. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you. And this morning we're going to unpack several things in chapter 8 of Romans. But in that chapter we read these words. If God is for us, who can be against us? And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, when we cannot solve problems, when we cannot heal hurts, when we cannot change circumstances or win our own battles, we should have, long before those circumstances got bad, gone to the Lord in prayer. And then we stand and see what he is doing. We must leave room for God to be God. And then we must calmly, obediently, Follow him. So grab your Bibles like your life depended upon it because it truly does and turn to the eighth chapter of Romans. The eighth chapter of Romans is one that's packed with so many things and if you were in seminary you may have spent a whole year in the book of Romans. But I'm going to begin with the 26th verse of the eighth chapter of Romans and we're going to park there for a little bit this morning. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us and groans that groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that all things work for the good of those who loved him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, Will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There should be a big amen at the end of that, shouldn't there? We can look at this and we can go verse by verse and spend a lot of time. But let's turn back to the 28th verse. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the NIV translation, God is the subject of this sentence. Uh, There are some that would argue that all things are the subject, but the fact is God directs the affairs of life in such a way that for those that love him, the outcome is always going to be beneficial for good. The good that Paul speaks of is not always what we may think is best. And the following verse implies that good is conformity to the likeness of Christ. See, moral advances often utilizes hardships and trials to get us to where God wants us to be. Paul says all things work together for good. So the question is, does Paul really mean all things? Dr. James Dotson wrote a book titled, When God Doesn't Make Sense. In the book, he was writing to those that are struggling with trials and heartaches, the loss of a loved one, disease, divorce, rejection. And in writing the book, he was reaching out, trying to give some hope to those that were struggling with these things and help them to try to understand the meaning of suffering in the world. And he takes the reader through 11 chapters before he comes to the conclusion. And the bottom line for the conclusion is this. Ask why there was all this suffering, why there was all these trials and tribulations. Dr. Dotson concluded, I don't know. This is why I usually read the back of a book before I'll go through the 11 chapters of the book. However, in hindsight, so often we realize that God is testing us, or he is growing us, or he is remolding us, or he is preparing us during these times of trials and tribulations. We often ask man why something is happening, happening, and we get the same answer Dr. Dotson had, and that is, I don't know. But we all know that God does not do well with why questions, so often we don't ask God why. When in reality we should be asking him, what are you doing? And how can I join you? How can I help your will to be done? So the bottom line, when Paul writes all, he means all. It's kind of like last week. We heard uh, Pastor Zeke talk about keeping the main thing the main thing. Well, when Paul says all, he's keeping the main thing the main thing. You see, rather than formulating theology from one verse, we need to look at the context and the totality of Paul's letter to the Romans. Pastor Zeke and I had a conversation this week, and you're going to see this later on in the message. So often we will see verses of Scripture, 
And you'll hear, hear pastors or you'll hear believers quote part of that verse as though there's a period at the end of part of that verse. And it's not. Or they'll leave out a comma or a semicolon. Pastor Zeke this morning shared with me, he says, you know, commas are really important. Somebody can say, I'm going to eat mother. And without a comma in there that says, I'm going to eat mother, telling mother that you're about to eat, it's completely different. And so is the same with scripture. We need to take the context of what is being said. We need the practicality as we ask God if he's working in the mess we call our life. The bottom line is, the answer is yes, he does mean all. Paul is addressing the living by the power of the Spirit in the midst of suffering and pain. Paul is no stranger to these kind of things. And here's one that, here's, Paul has had several near-death experiences. He's been beaten, he's been imprisoned, he's been persecuted. So he understands those struggles and suffering. But also in this verse, he lists some qualifiers for those who truly follow God. You see, he's not giving this promise to all people, but for those who love God and who are called to his purpose. The 29th verse, real quickly, goes over God being foreordained that believers be brought to the moral conformity to be the likeness of his son. But if you'll skip down now to verse 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So often we are fearful of an opponent, whether it's a colleague that we're uh, competing against for a promotion or whether you're involved in a sport and you have a team that you're playing against, and we focus on the enemy. I'll tell you a story about our our youngest. When he got out of high school, about to go off to college, he came and he said uh, to Melanie and I, I want to get a tattoo. I thought, oh, my gosh. And and I'll be honest with you. I don't understand the tattoo stuff. I'm scared to death of needles. And to tell somebody it's okay to take a needle and start drawing on me is just painful to me to even think about. But I thought, okay, I'm going to talk him out of this. And I said, tattoos, when you get old, you know, you can have... two words, and suddenly it's a paragraph as you, your body begins to change. And so I, I tried that approach, and that didn't work because, you know, he's a young man. He's in really great shape. And so I said, well, um, what, what do you want? What kind of tattoo do you want to get? And I'm hoping God is going to give me some ammunition here, right? So what kind of tattoo do you want to get? And so I'm, I'm ready for this, and he says, I want to get a scripture. And I'm thinking... God, you are not helping me right now. (laughs) And I said, "Uh, what scripture? And he said, if God is for us, who could be against us? (laughs) At that moment, God just pierced my heart. 
Because I said, and again, still trying to work this not happening. I said, you know, those words tattooed on you may get you killed one day simply because you profess that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know what he said to me? Nothing. He smiled. And at that point, I thought, God, give me the courage and the boldness that this 18-year-old has for you. You know, Micah 6.8 tells us how we should live. And it's real simple. He showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does it require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk, walk humbly with your God. He doesn't say, spend some of your time worrying and wondering about what's going on. About what I'm doing. Trying to identify whether or not you want to be involved in this struggle or not. Try to spend how much time you can trying to get out of a situation rather than joining me in a situation. You know, though we're sinners by nature, through faith and repentance, we have all been acquitted of all wrong. Our future glorification is so certain that God speaks of it in Scripture as though it has already taken place, and it has. Certainly, if God is for us, what does it matter who is against us? God sacrificed his own son on our behalf. Therefore, God who is sovereign will not withhold that which is, by comparison, merely trivial. The immeasurable greatness of God's love is seen in the infant nature of his sacrifice on our behalf. God by nature is a giving God. I want to just real quickly touch on four things about trials in our lives. First, they are short-term reality. There was a lady that shared with her pastor. She says, I understand that these things are short-term because I read in the Bible some words that really touch me, and the words are, it came to pass. And she said, meaning... It's not staying here. It's moving on. And so she said, I understand that this is short-term. You see, we often have short-term pain, but God is working for a long-term gain. Secondly, trials give us proper perspective. If you never had a bad experience, how would you appreciate or recognize a good experience? Our problem is that we interpret everything from our human materialistic perspective. The good is not our comfort or our wealth or our good health. The good is God's glory. It's easy to let our circumstances change how we understand God or how we think about God, but that's just the evil one at work in each of us. Remember that God is good and faithful. Even though we cannot see everything that he's doing, even though we cannot understand everything that he's working for, he is good and faithful. Next, trials keep us focused, forward focused. We see or we hear the misery or disaster in the world, and we forget that this world is not all of reality. If we define the good by what we see in this life, we've missed the whole point of this text. 
Christians far too often think they're good if they have wealth or if they have good health or if they have a title of some sort. But that's not the good Paul is talking about. It's not the goal of believers in life. And lastly, trials help us experience God's presence. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weak times and in times of prayer as long as we trust, truly trust. There will be times that we will go through circumstances and we may not understand how we even got through it. But it's by the grace and the promises of God that we get to the other side. So turn to Romans 8.1. 8.1 begins with these words. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then if you look at the last of chapter 8, these words are written. Not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. All our hope is in Jesus Christ. All our life is in Jesus Christ. All our glory is found in trusting Jesus Christ. For Paul means all. And all means all. As Pastor Zeke said, he's keeping the main thing the main thing. Last week, Pastor Zeke talked about distractions. And I want to make just one real quick note. Distractions are different from detours. God is working in detours in your life. God controls those detours. We have the ability to control our distractions. Theologically, we may not be able to explain it, but in practicality, we can face all things because of the one who gave it all for us. We struggle with fear. We struggle with failure. Failure. In fact, we struggle most when we fear failure. In chapter 8, Romans tells us about failing. God will not condemn. Therefore, there is no condemnation in the, in, to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. God promises, I will not forget you. Verse 16, the spirit itself breathes witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I will not forsake you. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for the good of them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, and I will never stop loving you. Verse 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither the height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many friends do you have that would say to you, uh, you don't have to worry, I'll, I'll never condemn you, I'll never forget you, I'll never forsake you, I will never stop loving you. With all of God's promises and reassurances, the sacrifice of Jesus Why are we worried about things? If you truly are in a covenant relationship with God, then he is forever your father and you are forever his child. You know, at this last weather event, we struggled with Paul's words. It's trying to understand why we were going through this, but the bottom line is the words that Paul writes in Romans are a good foundation. We understand that God is working 
We won't be like some singer who decided that the freeze in Texas was because one of the senators went to Cancun and we were being condemned for that. I pray your depth and relationship with God is much deeper than that. But the need to turn to God has never been more urgent. But understand that first we must have a loving, obedient relationship with God. We must be walking with God. You cannot walk with God if you're standing still. There are examples throughout Scripture of those that walked with God. Abraham walked with God. Abraham was obediently obedient to God, even to sacrificing his own son. Abraham was called God's friend. Noah walked with God until it was time to get on the boat. And then he rode in the boat with God. Moses walked with God, and he walked with God, and he walked with God, and he continued to walk with God, but he led his people. Daniel walked with God and walked out of the lion's den. Being obedient to his word, being obedient to his calling, It's not always easy, but I promise you it's necessary. I think too often believers hang their hat on one verse. As I said earlier, we take verses that we like or part of verses that we like, and we go, this is what I'm doing. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And I've heard believers over and over again saying, I'm waiting for God to tell me what he wants me to do. Well, God is at work all the time. You just need to look around and join him. And to sit in a chair and watch it happen is not what you need to be doing. Melanie's dad used to say, do something. Even if it's wrong, do something. Don't sit there. You know, the important thing about that scripture is this. The psalmist is saying that God is with us and God is sovereign and God is powerful. But if you stop with know that I am God, you miss the semicolon that goes after that, and the verse finishes by saying, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God wants us to rest from time to time. Sometimes we abuse that, and we just take so many breaks. It's good that God doesn't have a union, because we would want to take breaks all the time. And sometimes we do. And God continues to work and we continue to miss those opportunities. And Tony talked about those opportunities. You seek those opportunities. And God puts them before you. So we must study his word. Then during struggles, he brings a promise to mind. Miracles have happened when God's people have turned to him in prayer. Yet God does not always remove a catastrophe. But he promises to be with us throughout. And Jesus is our advocate during those times. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is an ongoing experience. That when troubles arise, we are not controlled by the circumstances. Rather, we depend upon God's resources. And we depend upon God's promises. There was an officer that was working an extra job. This was a while back because this was when Astro World was still there. And he was underneath a shade tree because it was hot. He was standing there minding his own businesses. People were coming in and out, and there was a group of young kids that were coming, and they were all dressed in black. They had the demonic signs on their shirts. 
And most of them walked by, and one young man, long hair, demonic shirt on, turned to the officer and walked up to him and said, uh, what's your name? And he looked at the officer, read his name tag, oh, you're Officer Smith. And the officer said, that's right, what's your name? And he says, they call me Skull. And the officer said, I thought, of course they do. What else would they call you? And he says, Skull, can you tell me, why do you have all this demonic stuff on your shirts? He says, I've read the Bible from beginning to end. I know the devil is real. He's as real as God. He's as real as Jesus. I know he exists. And so that's why I wear this. And the officer said, you've read the whole Bible? He said, yes, I have. And you've read the end of the Bible? Yes. He says, well, let me ask you a question. So what's that? He says, if you read the end of the Bible, why do you want to be on the losing team? The young man looked at him and walked off. An opportunity. Don't be afraid of who's against you. Just speak the truth. A few months later, the officer was standing underneath that same tree. Same tree. And a young man began to walk toward him. This young man was very, very clean cut. His blue jeans were pressed. He had a short uh, haircut as though he was probably about to attend Texas A&M. And he thought, this kid is going to ask me, how can I become a police officer? Because I want to carry a gun and drive cars real fast. And he thought, oh, man. So the young man walked up to him, stuck his hand out said, do you remember me? No, sir, I don't. He says, I used to be Skull. My name is James. He says, man, you look a lot different. He said, yeah. I don't want to be on a losing team. One moment in time may have been not the only thing that happened to Skull in the next week. But God so often asks us, don't be fearful, be bold in sharing the gospel. And he doesn't ask us to do a whole lot. Just to be there, be available. So never think of yourself as not being good enough for God to save you. Salvation is for everyone. God gave up, his, gave up the life of his son, Jesus Christ, for you. He will not hold anything back for you to live for him. His word is a love letter to each of us. Read it, accept it, and live it. You are a child of God. As we prepare for communion, keep your focus on Jesus. Do not let Jesus' sacrifice be taken for granted. May you understand the depth of God's love. For those that seek forgiveness, And desire a closer walk with him. He is forever for us. Jesus is our advocate. We should, as Paul, count it all joy. We are on this earth in this time for his purpose. May we boldly stand up for his kingdom and his glory. If God is for us, who can be against us? (laughs) 